Pod. 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 Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are number five in the initial early doesn't really matter, but we're still going to talk about it. College football playoff rankings of 2023 uh, about where I think we all kind of expected they'd end up. They are eight. No, um, but the consensus seems to have have built, especially over these last two weeks, that they are uh, they are the worst undefeated power five team in college football. Danny, would, would you agree? They haven't played particularly well. I would still rather be in Washington's position than Oregon's position. Or Oregon's playing better football right now. I'd rather be in Washington's position than Oregon's position. And but yeah, I, I don't think they've looked particularly good um the past couple weeks, certainly. And there is a lot of room for concern. There's a stab of sort of fear when you see, oh, they're fifth. And you're like, oh, but Oregon, Ohio State, and Michigan are going to play each other. But you're like, but what if that – could you see a scenario where an undefeated Washington team doesn't get into the, the, the playoff? I don't think there's that scenario at all. If they, if they win out, they're going to go to the college football playoff, which is really kind of the scenario I think we all would have kind of thought at the beginning of the season. It's going to be really hard for a one-loss Pac-12 team to get into the title if it's not USC. And that's that's kind of where we're at right now. Yeah, I, I think the the debate and the concern does, like you said, it starts around, does a one-loss Washington, um, assuming a Pac-12 championship, a one-loss Pac-12 champion Washington get into the field? I tend to think they will. Oh, really? Um, it, it introduces a lot more factors, right? There's a lot more variables involved. You're talking about the four teams ahead of them. You're also talking about that pack of teams. In this scenario, Oregon wouldn't be a factor, right? Because Washington would have to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't be factoring in Oregon, which is the, I think, clearly the best one-loss team right now. But that tier of Texas has one loss. Oklahoma has one loss presumably one of them is going to win the big 12 and be a champion, be a conference champion. Are they going to do it with one loss? If Texas is a a one loss, big 12 champion, for example, only has a loss to Oklahoma beat Alabama on the road. I haven't, I don't have their schedule right in front of me, but you know, they'd need to, they'd need to finish strong, right? Like is is a one loss PAC 12 champion, Washington going to go over Texas. If Penn state, for example, um, manages to beat Michigan and wins the big 10, could there be could there be a couple Big Ten teams get in? Um, have you have you watched Penn State at all this year? I, I I didn't watch their game against Ohio State. I just saw all of the complaining about their offense. It's so funny. <laughs> like, and I actually no, I take I I watched a little bit of uh, their game against Indiana in the in the hotel on Saturday. It, it is impossible to take them seriously. <laughs> it's really having I've watched a couple of of their games now. And it's impossible to take Penn State seriously as a team that could beat Michigan. And maybe I'll be totally proven wrong, but hell, I mean, I don't, I, I think you could give Connor Stallions every one of Penn State's play calls, like, <laughs> communicate it directly to Connor Stallions, and and it wouldn't wouldn't make an observable difference because I think everybody knows exactly what Penn State's going to do. Yeah, I was you know I was going through my wedding album last night. 
and I hadn't, I'd never noticed before, but I saw right, right there in the back in a big, like, uh, party photo. It was Connor Stallions. He was standing right there. <laughs> Dude, goatee and he sunglasses. Was, he was on the, he was on the <laughs> have they said if it's him or not? Well, Jim, Jim McElwain, uh, gave some statement at his press conference that didn't make it sound like it wasn't him. Um, (laughs) he was very clear they don't condone sign stealing they did not have his name on any of their passes (laughs) bottom line is bottom line is if it wasn't him they'd be like oh yeah no that's joey that's joey in our recruiting department (laughs) exactly exactly so if people don't know what we're talking about sports illustrated sports illustrated was the first outlet that i saw that reported this they had a picture of a guy on the sideline, the Central Michigan sh- sideline, where Jim McElwain is the coach. And McElwain had previously been an assistant on the Michigan staff, I believe. I believe in like 2018. Um, McElwain had been the Colorado State coach, then he'd gone to Florida. And he's now he's now the coach at Central Michigan. Picture of a guy who may be Connor Stallings that it was. People are investigating, so presumably... The Michigan Manifesto guy, Connor Stallions, may have been on the Central Michigan sideline, which I'm not sure what advantage that would provide. Maybe you're closer so you can hear some of the the line calls or something. The whole thing is so funny. It's just hilarious (laughs) that we now have someone going undercover on the Central Michigan sideline to, to scout opposing signals. It's just the fact he's wearing sunglasses kills me. <laughs> it's just the funniest part. It's a Bobby Val. It, it's what makes it Bobby Valentine level, right? When when it, Valentine sat back in the Mets yeah. dugout with the Groucho Marx glasses to kind of make a whole joke of the fact that he'd been thrown out. Also, like how unwieldy have college football staffs become that some guy can just be in a hat and a team shirt on the sideline and no and nobody's like hey who is this guy i've never seen this guy the phys- the presumption is just like well he, he looks like he's supposed to be here i don't know hey i don't know how many recruiting assistants we have at central michigan but, <laughs> but i guess I, know, I guess he's new who knows um but sorry to have steered us onto the connor stallions it's hard for me to take penn state seriously as a potential spoiler in the big 10 and i think the question would be if you have one loss Michigan and one loss, Ohio State, however that comes to be. If that happened and they had beaten each other, do they both get in? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh well, but they are they're still divisions though. Yes. So they couldn't they couldn't play each other twice, unlike Washington and Oregon. Oh yeah, okay. If they both end up with one loss though, does the champion go? The Big Ten champion and then the team Right. Eh, it would be hard for that to happen. Well, you could have, I mean, the, the the other division in the Big Ten is so horrible, but like you could, that that is kind of a question, right? Like what if they're both undefeated, let's say Michigan beats Ohio State and mm-hmm. Michigan's undefeated playing in the conference championship game and they lose, they get upset by whoever it ends up being. Um, and, and so now both teams have one loss. Dude, both teams go and neither one is the conference champion. <laughs> I guess they'd just take whoever went, whoever had won between the two, right? I don't or, know. Or does that where a one-loss Pac-12 champion Washington sneaks in because they're a conference champ? It's always my impression that there's been sort of a hesitance to take a team that wasn't the conference championship, the conference champion, it, if you're not taking the conference champion. To, to choose 
I'm trying to think if there's been an example of that where the team that won the conference title doesn't get chosen, but the runner-up does. Yeah. So, like, I, I think if, if Florida State loses a game, a one-loss Pac-12 champion clearly trumps them because they will have had to have finished with several ranked victories that Florida State wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a hard time thinking they'd take the loser of Michigan, Ohio State, over a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Um, even if, you know, but if it's Ohio State, right, like they've got two really good wins already. I, I guess they wouldn't have, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for, for more. I, I just, what, Ohio State in 2018 is the only one lost Power 5 champion to not get in. Mm-hmm. So history is kind of on your side, just kind of tends to work out that way. But, yeah, I mean, you've got five undefeated teams so far from four of the Power 5 conferences and then the other one has two really good one loss teams that i I don't know that oklahoma necessarily has the staying power um i kind of think texas is more likely to to emerge uh as a one loss champion from the big 12 but yeah i mean if 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 you're on that washington sideline if you're in that washington building first you you check and make sure that connor stallions isn't standing next to you um and then you uh you, you got to look at it as, you, hey, they're they're going to do everything they can to keep a Pac-12 team out, you know. And I'm not saying that like they're conspiring that way, but if if you are the Pac-12 team that's competing for it, you you got to you got to have that mindset that like you forget about one loss, anything like you go undefeated, take care of business, and and there's nothing that they can say. And as we were talking about this. We are getting ahead of ourselves in the sense that if Washington continues to play the way it has over the past two weeks specifically, I don't I certainly don't see them going undefeated the rest of the regular season, let alone what might happen in a Pac-12 championship game, because that and I would say between the two units, the offense is is what is most concerning right now, because while they put up 42 points against Stanford, there was that that the offense did not look good early and you pile that on top of what happened against Arizona state. And that that's my biggest concern right now is how the offense is playing. So the, the glass half full version of these last two weeks is that, Hey, first of all, it's ASU and it's at Stanford. That's always weird for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Every good team's going to have, I mean, we talked about this last week, right? Like every good team's going to have a couple games where they should have won by more, but they just got to battle through and find a way. And I think now we also kind of know uh, that the the sickness in the locker room was, was maybe uh, beyond just the starting quarterback. From what I've been told, it wasn't anywhere near the level of like before the Apple Cup last year mm-hmm. when the flu had kind of ravaged them. I think they even had to like leave a couple guys home from that game. They had double-digit guys sitting out of practice every day, sending guys home from the facility. I don't think it was that bad, but I, I do think that um, it was – it was noteworthy enough that they talked about it and it does, you know, DeBoer seems to think that it's kind of, it's subsided. And, you know, we talked to Penix yesterday. He said he's, he feels fine. He was sick, but that he feels better now. I mean, he definitely, he sounds better. Um, and so it, that that's, that's two weekends in a row that he kind of dealt with that. Um, and you could kind of, it's interesting. He said, and Grubb said that like at halftime, even he felt like, 
he 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 seemed to feel better and be like higher energy than he was even before the game. And Penix kind of said he felt better throughout the game, and I think his play improved throughout yes. the game. It was almost it was almost like the breaking point on whatever he had was like the somewhere around the second quarter, um, and his play corresponded with that. They said, you know, ASU week. I guess he felt really terrible. Uh, was really weak. Um, he wasn't taking all the reps that he would have throughout this week because they were kind of trying to manage it. So, um, yeah, I think that was a factor. They're they're really saying it's safety. And look, these are all that you know definitely true. The safety part was definitely you could see that. The, yeah, was, the safety play was affected in that game. And and none of it is to suggest like, oh, see, so Washington's dealing with something that these other teams aren't dealing with. No, every team is dealing with injury. Every team is missing guys who would help them. It's relevant from Washington's perspective because there's a chance they could get a couple of those guys back mm-hmm. and and be a different team against USC, against Utah, against Oregon State. So I, I kind of got a vibe from Kalen DeBoer after the Stanford game that was a little bit similar coming out of ASU last year where I think they knew going into that game as bad as ASU was and as, as heavily favored as the Huskies were and as, as likely as victory seemed to everybody on the outside – they knew how depleted they were, and I think they kind of knew, like, what's this going to look like? You know, let's, geez, we, we're going to be playing some guys out there in the secondary who have not played a lot of college football. This is, could get ugly, and it was. Um, but they were pretty confident that once they got healthy, they'd be a, they'd, they'd be a different team. Um, and I guess they kind of sensed that optimism from DeBoer post-Stanford that, hey, this was a weird week. You know, you had you had guys practicing who couldn't play, so the guys playing in their place hadn't taken the reps that they did and the spots that they did. Thule was was unavailable. It sounds like they'll at least have a, a chance to get him back. I did see him coming off the field after practice on Tuesday wearing pads. It, it seemed like he participated. Cam Fabiculanen would be an important guy to get back, especially if Asa Turner is still out. So um, giving, getting one of those safeties back or getting Thule back I think gives their defense a little different complexion. And offensively, I think it's really it's about getting Penix healthy, which he seems to be, and being able to play a game with a receiver core that practiced together all week. Even if, hey, Jalen McMillan can't be part of it this week, he's still going to have to sit, something like that. If you just are able to to get the three or four guys you're rotating to to spend the whole week practicing in those spots, I think that that, that affects the rhythm and everything too. I'm not quite putting on a tinfoil hat, but allow me for a moment to present uh what I would call a question based entirely on observation of performance and none of the explanations that we've heard. Because it seems to me that starting midway through the third quarter of the Oregon game, like at some stretch there, since then, sort of the nine and a half quarters that that we've seen, and I'll... I'll hang the caveat that the last two quarters against Arizona or against Stanford look significantly better. We've seen Washington's offense fall out of gear like that. It it has performed at a markedly different level of efficiency and that that's also coincided with Penix. He certainly was affected when he got landed on and kind of the two piece hit in in the fourth quarter against Oregon, but has seemed to be physically laboring or not looked right. And 
And it's possible that's just illness and dehydration or cramping. The combination of those two over that. It's also possible that something he's fighting through something right now that has affected the way he's able to play at quarterback. Um, how viable is my uh, butt on the couch, eyeballs on the screen uh, theory? You never, ever rule that out because as a rule, and you know this, you've done this longer than I have, uh, you always assume that a guy who's a little dinged up or ailing is more dinged up or ailing than what's what's being said publicly. One of Jim Capel's cardinal rules. Injuries Indeed. are always worse than they let on. I, For this reason, I watched Michael Penix Jr. very closely on Saturday. Um, watched him pregame, watched him on the sideline. Watched him the way he talked to the team, right, you know, right before they're about to take the field. Obviously, everybody can see him on the field. I did not see a guy who is protecting an injury necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why I buy the illness thing because we talked to him and he clearly was sick. I mean, he sounded sick. He was not was not feeling well. Um, I don't, you know, he's not having trainers and doctors come up to him in between every series checking on him. He's, um, his, his movements, he's not wincing. He's not grabbing at anything. He doesn't appear to be favoring anything. You know, that 92 yard touchdown to Jalen Polk, he stood there and let rip and threw that thing 52 yards in the air from the opposite hash. Sure did. Um, so I, you know, when he's, when he's got a layer of throw and drive it, I think he still does and still can. He had one to an Odunze for about 20 yards that was like a, okay, that was a Michael Penix throw. And so I, you know, he's just watching the way he moves afterward, you know, going up and, and reaching up and, you know, talking to his family and seem to be in a good mood, good spirits. You know, he's not, he's not trudging off the field like a guy who's just, you know, really taking everything he's got to not scream in pain type of thing. Mm-hmm. So with that said, it could just be really tough. You know, could he could be dinged up and he's just a really tough guy and he's not he's not doing anything to uh to to give it away. Um but the the fact that he clearly was sick um and that we've seen that and heard that, you know, with our own two eyes and ears and all those things and 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 now I think seems to to be better. Let's see how he looks at USC. And if he plays in a way that, you know, has everybody say, okay, that's Michael Penix Jr. He looks right now. I think you can, you can kind of put the health concerns on the, on the shelf a little bit. Um, or at the very least know that, well, if he is dealing with something physically, it, it's not going to prevent him from playing like himself when he's, when he's also not ill. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is even as I say those sort of my, I don't want to call it a crackpot theory, but the... The sort of the worst case scenario. I, I think what I laid out is that something's happened. It's they're doing their best to cover it. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Like hopefully it'll get better. Whatever's bothering him, if he were to be injured, if a player is limited, that they'll they'll be able to recover through it or learn how to play with it better. There's nothing you can really do. If the explanation, which is why, frankly, coaches don't want to talk about injuries. There's no. All you're doing is advertising a potential weakness. Like, I wouldn't want Michael Penix, if he was ailing, to come out and say, yes, I am, because it's it's kind of up to him to be able to manage as best he can through it. Um, the other thing that I'll say is that 
over the course of a season, there are ebbs and flows of how a team plays on both sides of the ball, how well a team is playing. And the idea that, oh my God, the way they've played has taken them out of any chance, or I don't know what would happen if they would meet Oregon again, kind of ignores that fact that there are going to be ups and downs over the course of a season, even a really, really good season. And there are going to be moments when your defense is not as effective can't get off the field and there are going to be moments even when you have a really good offense where it looks really hard and some of that's because of how teams are trying to game plan against you some of that is because rhythm and timing and the ability like those are those are delicate things and they're not always going to be perfect and the fact that Washington has won like has been able to to pull through and win those games is not something that you look at as Oh my God, they've ruined any chance. No, they haven't. They've, in spite of playing poorly or not playing certainly as well as they could offensively, they've still won those games. And, and that's important. College football teams change so dramatically over the course of the season. It's really different depending on when you face, facing a Stanford team that had come back from a 29 point first half deficit. That might have been the hardest point to take on that Stanford offense, certainly, because they felt the best they have about themselves all year. And Stanford's horrible defensively. Like no, yeah, they're bad. <laughs> no, no amount of points, yards, or whatever should be. You should be like patting yourself on the back, like, oh, look what we did to Stanford. But like, they did score forty-two points with yep. red zone turnovers on consecutive yep. possessions. So yep. even and and you're totally right. They looked out of sync. They, there was something just kind of. It was it was it was a little bit like uh, either they're going to hit a ninety-two yard touchdown or they're going to have some like ugly three and out where they lose yardage. You know, um, I would have expected them to run the ball a little better, although they did stick with it. And they were that was one thing coaches and they're always, you know, and that thing a, a coach loves more than uh, like running the ball on sev- several consecutive plays uh, in the last couple minutes to put a game away. And that's what they did. Right. They they got uh, a little fortunate on Stanford's fourth down play. Little mm-hmm. bit of a uh, little bit of luck there um, on the drop pass, and and then handed it to Dylan Johnson four times and scored a touchdown to to essentially seal the game. So, um, I, I I think uh, what 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 was going through your head on that play when they pitch it back to the guy? Okay, clearly he's throwing the ball. Oh, that guy's very open. <laughs> it's a nightmare scenario, and you're like, oh my god! And then when he drops it. My initial, my, my first reaction is like, that's why you don't want your quarterback not throwing the ball. That's why you don't have your wide receiver who's been banged up because a lot has to go right. It wasn't a terrible throw. It wasn't a good throw. It was a dropped pass, but it wasn't the easiest thing. Man, it wasn't. You, you, have, you have somebody that's not your quarterback throwing the ball, especially with defenders bearing down on him. That's the chance you take. Like that's that's one of those you're like, okay, I don't think it was a fluke or like, oh, they were saved by some act of God, like a missed field goal or something like that. (laughs) But God, he was so open. (laughs) I also give Troy Taylor some credit, man. Like that's he's got an offense that's starting to work a little bit. He's clearly understands some things about how to how to score. And how to get things running, and and that's working. And it, it looks like they're coming around on that side of the ball. They, uh, according to PFF, your favorite source, Washington <laughs> pressured Ashton Daniels like crazy, mm-hmm. but oftentimes the pressure was 
uh, from the edge, and now he steps up, and no, oh, there's nobody there, and and he's scrambling for for a bunch of positive yardage. So pressured him, did not contain him uh, very well at all. He did. Hey, he took some shots, you know, and it, and it was it was strange. It was like they identified Jabbar Muhammad as the guy they were going to go after, and. Maybe that was the size mismatch, right? That's kind of the the one knock on on Muhammad as well as he's played. I still think he's one of their most important, valuable players. He doesn't have the size, so if you got a bigger receiver and if you can get him isolated, you can you can play the uh, the jump ball game. And they, hey, Aomanor, man, he's a he's a player. He's going to be really good. He already is really good, but he's going to be. I think if if they can keep the offense rolling, he could be a problem for a lot of teams going forward. Do you know how banged up he is? I don't. I haven't seen an update. It uh, it didn't look good. No, coming off the field. Um, I mean, he was very immediately in a lot of pain, and and they took him, you know, straight off. So, I uh, I I hope he's all right. That'd be that'd be a bummer to, I mean, have this huge outburst right over these last three weeks or so, and and then then lose. And they're already, you know, they don't have Urosic, their stud tight end, and so. Yeah, he was. I'm not sure if Washington wins if if he stays healthy that whole game. Um, I think it definitely would have changed their ability to move the ball in, in the second half. But um, so in that way, I would say that that was for, from Washington's end. They they didn't have a lot of answers for him, kind of just like Colorado didn't. And it's not a matter of talent at cornerback if that's happening, right? I mean, Travis Hunter is going to be a first round draft pick in the NFL whenever he comes out and he didn't have a lot of answers like that's who they were matching up on so there's there's certainly the connection that that Daniels has has made with him and the way that offense functions is giving him opportunities how much were you thinking when on that last drive not the last drive the uh, the possession where they they went for it on fourth down didn't get it how much were you thinking about uh, Josh Cardi's range Joshua Cardi's range as as Stanford's random like best kicker ever, because he's hit from sixty one, right? He's got a boot. He's got a boot. Was it the sixty one yarder? Was that the last play, the last snap of David Shaw's tenure? Uh, because didn't they they settled for a field goal right at the end of last season? It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> were they down? Were they down eleven? Down ten? They were down ten. Yeah, <laughs> they brought in the field goal kicker to, with is less than twenty seconds left. It was basically like we're just going to take the points here, um, <laughs> as opposed to trying to win the game, which was funny. Um, but hey, honestly, the fact that it was sixty-one yards is way more respectable. Because I, I, I agree with that. We're like we're going to lose this game. Let's at least give him a shot to make like a ridiculous college field goal. Yeah, yeah like how we're you know this kid's got the leg. He's really good. How many more times are we going to get a chance to see him try from sixty-one? Right, like let's just give him. We can give. Let him try. Who cares? Let's pause for just a second before we get to, to our friend Ian McFarland, who is going to be at the Husky tailgate this weekend. If you see someone that you think looks like Ian, go up and just see if you can have a conversation with him before we get there. Let's pause for an appropriately ridiculous Pac-12 weekend, like this being kind of the final year. I don't know if the conference is going to survive in some, but we had. Stanford, or I'm sorry, Cal, USC, you had the officials decide in the middle of halftime that the first half had not actually ended. I've never seen this happen in a football game before. 
that there was actually one second on the clock, which I don't think that's correct. I think the clock had run out. That they would come out and when this before the second half started, they would play a final play of the second quarter <laughs> because they determined there was one second left. For th- that that ridiculousness. Oregon State running a fake field goal hmm. in which I'm not against the fake field goal, but the the fake field goal called for the kicker to score. Like you, your kicker had to run 25 yards to the end zone, and they got the first down, but time ran out because it was the last play of the first half. Uh, you had Arizona State and Washington State with that absolute debacle that was going on, including allegations of uh, guys going down who may or may not have been actually injured. Um, it was. It was on a in, in a year where we're celebrating the uh, the end of this ridiculous conference. It was a predictably ludicrous uh, series of events that occurred. That ASU fake injury was so so egregious. I mean that that should be that should be a public reprimand from the conference office. I don't know what. Yeah, it's bad, man. It's. So it's hard. Do you remember when Sarkeesian got mad at Stanford? Like completely about yeah. Stanford, which was BS because one of the players that went down was injured. Like he suffered a season-ending pectoral tear. Um, I hate sort of that suspicion because <sighs> the last thing you want to do is is sort of accuse someone who is hurt of not being hurt, and they're amateur athletes. At the same time, we've now seen it a few times in the conference this year where it's just clearly being used, and it is awful. It is like that to me is way worse than any sign stealing stuff. Like, we're just talking about the ethics of the game and that, and I don't know how you police it, but God, it's awful. But it's it's using that rule, right? the 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 reason it's using is because because the clock stops at a first down, it becomes a dead ball situation for an injury, and you don't have to use a timeout or you're not cost a timeout. You're given a clock stoppage. Maybe that's you have to change that part of the rule or go to an automatic runoff or something. But it's because it it seems like that that's the loophole that is being used by coaches. Yeah, and it's, you know, you're allowed to do it, right? And there's nothing that they can say during the game. I mean, the, the rule book does very clearly state, like, this is a disgrace to our great game, and which is, is just funny language, but it is true. <laughs> like, I think most coaches feel that way. But, yeah, I remember how upset David Shaw was about the uh, the Steve Sarkeesian thing. Um, it, was, it was wrong. Sark, and Sark was being a baby. Like, I clearly... After that happened, I thought Sark was being a baby. Um, but then you see something like the Arizona State thing. I, we didn't talk about it in Oregon. The the tight end who went down, it looked like you reached for one knee and then the other after a first yeah. down. <laughs> I mean, he's out there running around again the next week. And it's... But again, I don't, I don't want to be... They're amateur athletes. And I don't... I don't the last thing... I want to do is accuse or allege someone's not hurt who is injured in the, in the game. 
Maybe the solution is like when that happens, the player has to leave the game. But even that, if it's at the end of the second half, it doesn't really matter. I, it's so they they discussed that because the NCAA prior to last season put in this new like complaint mechanism where if you think your opponent is faking injuries, you can file a, a complaint to the head of officials, the national head of officials, and they can review it. And if they agree, they can call up the school and be like, "That was really lame. You shouldn't have done that." <laughs> What is that? <laughs> but uh, they they had discussed that very thing, right? That well, we the way we can prevent this is by uh, saying, okay, that guy can't come back in the game now for the rest of the possession. But then they thought, well, that'll cause guys who are seriously hurt to stay, to stay in the game the rather than come out for to get looked at, knowing that if they are okay, they can go back in. So, but then like, I don't know. Couldn't you just have? your least important player go down with an injury yes to, to fake it it 100%. feels like a very it feels like a very like you know they're 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 not i guess they're millennials it, like like a millennial coaching thing where you know dan lanning's pretty young kenny dillingham's pretty young like someone in you know a, a crusty old head coach in their 60s wouldn't be doing this but people my age you know these these coaches now who are coming through who are my age are like it's in the rule book Nothing against it, really. We can do it. Look, the, here's here's how we get it. We can get a free timeout by doing this. You know, yeah. not my fault. Don't you know? Don't hate the player, hate the game type of thing. So, whereas you know, men, men of an older age have a code. Maybe you just go to the NFL rule and and use it and play it the way that the NFL does because the NFL has effectively legislated out using injuries to stop the clock in that way. Like you can't really do it. Yeah. Yeah, they've done a good job legislating basically every other like way to to stop it. You know, penal the way that pen it works with penalties and yeah, just it's a, it's strange. Do you think the Pac-12 will also um, reprimand Jonathan Smith for for that fake field goal? <laughs> it was. I like aggressive coaches. I, I generally and. The idea of, hey, you only criticize it if it doesn't work. Like, I do believe that there is a lot of hindsight bias. But the one about that one is, at some point, somebody's going like, do we really want our kicker running all that way? Like, is that is that really what we want the success of this play based on? Is our, our kicker's ability to run that? And I don't care how fast he is. He's not used to having guys chase him trying to do him bodily harm. Like, is that really, is that, is that really the one way, if we're going to fake a field goal, is that the way to fake it? It was, it was a, it was a bad decision. I think it might just be that when you got a guy on your team named Atticus Sappington, you, you want to get him in the end zone. You want, you want to get Atticus Sappington a touchdown. Yeah. Then call him one shot Atticus, like from, from To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, well, let's get to our conversation. Ian McFarland, who, like many Husky fans, uh, has spent the past two weeks. Uh, I think, Ian, the description he used on Twitter was where you're trying to steer the plane through turbul turbulence by gripping your armrests, which I which I think is a fairly accurate description of these past two games. Um, if you're looking for advice, uh, guidance, or really just a frame of reference for some ideas and sales projects you might have, or you're looking to actually staff uh, your company to expand. Uh, it's worth a conversation with Ian McFarland, ipmcfarland.com. Here's Ian's question. After these last eight quarters, I, I, I got nothing. What the hell's going to happen? 
I mean, these these last eight quarters are a mystery. The last three USC games are a circus. I, I if you're at the UW tailgate and you see a guy wearing Husky gear that sounds like me, come say hello. That's all I got, guys. There, Listen, there's an, there's an excitement, honestly, in because I think the uncertainty. I don't know how the rest of the season is going to go. I'm. I would say that I'm more puzzled than I was at the beginning of the year where I had some pretty firm expectations about what I thought the offense was going to look like. And the offense lived up to every one of those, some concerns about the defense. And you know what? The defense is significantly improved, but I have absolutely no idea where these next four games, what, what this is going to look like. They're playing some tough teams that are exceptionally physical. I'm not sure if Washington's able to, to stop the run. I think that USC, for all its problems on defense, has some incredible pass rushers that could really give Washington problems. And I don't think Washington's offense has looked all that good, but maybe they'll get it back in gear and, and none of that's going to matter. And they will have weathered their lull, kind of gone through their valley and come out the other side. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the that's the thing about these last two weeks is, OK, it cost them in the initial college football playoff rankings. It's cost them in terms of. You know, some narrative stuff, right? People saying, well, I think we kind of know Oregon's the better team, even though Washington beat them head to head. It was really close. It was in Seattle. Oregon easily could have won. And now look at the way that teams have played since then. Um, Got three straight ranked opponents coming up and they're either going to win those games or they're not. So the the vibe of these last two weeks is ultimately not going to factor into anything, I don't think, because for Washington to be in the conversation um, when it comes time for, for playoff selection, they if they're in the conversation, they will have won uh, at least two, probably three games against ranked opponents. So um, I usually off of two performances like that, you're thinking, okay, is this uh, is this a sign of things to come? or or was this more of an aberration for some of the reasons we discussed? And I, I guess the fact that like that question is going to be answered immediately and like repeatedly one way or the other, I, I think removes any need for like a Husky fan to really worry about it. You yeah. know, now I think the worry is, well, gosh, now what are they going to look like against USC? Well, what did Cal look like against USC? You know, <laughs> you, yeah, Washington would take its chances with Cal right now, certainly. So, um, you know, I, I, I think the the big concern is up front uh, on both sides of the ball is the the offensive line. I don't like against Stanford. Stanford brought some pressure, but there were some plays like Ryan Grubb kind of pointed out. There were some plays where Penix faced some pressure where he really shouldn't have, where they had hat on hat, and it was just guys getting beat. So USC definitely has the athletes to win some one on one matchups that way against Washington's offensive line. And then I look, I'm gonna. I'm always going to think USC's got a shot to hang with anybody when they got, as long as they got Caleb Williams and you know, he, this is not his best. He's, he's not playing quite as well this year as he did last year. That stuff's not in a vacuum, right? I mean, the fact that, that USC's defense is, is again, not very good. And his offensive line hasn't been great, but man, watching Ashton Daniels get loose on them, and, you know, Ashton Daniels throws for 367 yards and runs for another 80-some, mostly on scrambles. And now you're going to turn around and play Caleb Williams in seven days. And, and you're going to bottle him up when he's got 
way more talented receivers and, and running backs around him. You know, I think that's the that's the big blinking lights concern. Can this sort of bend but don't break defense that they've played where they've given up some yards for the most part, they've been okay at holding teams out of the end zone. They really weren't against Stanford last week. Um, you know, can they, can they just give their offense enough that to where, you know, 42 will win it instead of needing 56. <laughs> so I like, that's why that, that to me, that's, um, that's still the big concern, but you know, if they'd come out and, and blown Stanford out last week, that still would be my analysis. These are two different teams. It's two different matchups. Yeah. The pessimism with which I've seen sort of Washington characterized over the past couple weeks and sort there are instances in which I feel like people are characterizing it as if Washington lost the Oregon game, which I want to wave my hands and say they didn't. And also... That whole idea of Washington could have or should have lost and they don't want to meet Oregon again. I don't want to see Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship. Everybody who thinks that needs to get over that because that's that's like weak baby mind of, oh, I don't know if they're that. If I think Washington is a really good football team and I think they've hit a little offensively, but I certainly think it's within them to refine, rediscover that sort of the development they had and the game against Oregon, Washington had the ball in a double digit lead when its offense went flat. This isn't, they didn't pull that out of their hat in the final five minutes of the game. They were in control of it in the third quarter and then let go of the game. Like that's, that's how the, I'm not afraid of facing Oregon again. I, 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 if, if Washington's going to be a team that's capable of making a run in the college football playoff of getting there and doing damage, I'm not afraid of playing Oregon in the in the conference championship game, and I'd much rather be in Washington's position right now. I, I don't know how they're going to play, but I'm excited to see how they come through it. And USC is going to be a much different game than the game against Utah and the game against Ohio, or Oregon State, but everything's right there in front of Washington. And maybe this is they survived the rough patch that every team goes through in a season, and they did it without losing a game, which is really what you're hoping for. It's funny because we talk about this November gauntlet, and it is going to be tremendously challenging. Um, I would I would put my money, a pr- probably a pretty healthy amount, on over 0.5 losses this month. Um, I it's it's interesting the cracks in the armor that have shown for all three of those opponents just last mm-hmm. week. Yep. USC needed Cal to blow a, a two point conversion. On the last, which by the way, yeah, on a week of horrible calls, great call, the right call, one hundred percent the right call. Justin Wilcox, Cal, you're playing at home, you got a shot to take him out with one play, do it, do for it, sure. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, if Cal just is in a position where they they want to kick a PAT, there, he gave up fifty points to Cal. Okay, <laughs> Alex Grinch, baby. Utah was entirely outclassed by Oregon. Didn't belong on the same field as them. Yeah, and again, you know, Washington wants to talk about its health situation. Jeez, look at who Utah's missing. I mean, it's not just Cam Rising, Brant Keithy's out, Lander Barton's out. You know, they're they're all all kinds of banged up. Um, so they're not, you know, 
Utah's always going to be tough. They're never, ever, ever under Kyle Whittingham, a team that you can look past or anything like that. I mean, look, they just managed to win in the Coliseum with their pig farmer quarterback just uh, just two weeks ago. <laughs> so that you know that'll be challenging in its own way. But you you just watched a team that you beat blow them off the field in their in their house. So it's it's not it's not Utah Utah. They're just so limited offensively. Um, and Oregon State just lost at Arizona. So again, but there's there's very little transitive property uh, value to evaluating those three those three outcomes. You got to play at Oregon State. Oregon State was playing against a you know a, a, a team on the rise. It's really feeling itself. That's tough in Tucson. Washington knows that. They're going to be a different challenge uh, two weeks from now in in Reeser Stadium. Um, Utah's going to have its own you know game plan for for Washington. They've seen. What's worked against them? Arizona State maybe is something they can replicate a little bit. They probably feel like uh, they're pretty good defensively anyway. So, you know, that could get weird. And I'm sure USC is looking at Washington's film from Stanford and saying, oh, yeah, we could score, you know, 74 points to win this game by one if we need to. So I I will say this, that the, the unit that needs to sort of lead the way, the side of Washington's offense needs to be back to what it was the first couple months of the season if if washington's if washington's going to avoid losing it at usc their their offense needs to rediscover or find find that sort of efficiency start functioning with the efficiency that we saw early in the year it needs to stop turning the ball over and it needs to function with more efficiency than we've seen i i do think usc is going to put up some points I think I think I think USC's probably going to score more than 35, probably more than 40 points in this game because I think that's the kind of game it's going to be, but Washington this game is on Washington's offense. Yeah, I agree. Um and it's it's just you know, don't don't give up the explosive touchdowns. I think that's the key. No short possessions for USC and um and is, you know, is is Michael Penix Jr. does he does he need to be down in that day quill pre-kickoff or, or or is this the week where he could kind of set that aside and now the the sniffles are gone and and he's feeling better yeah what do you think is going on with Jalen mcmillan we've seen him he he's he's come back twice now from the injury but not been able to finish either game that he came back for yeah i mean it sounds like it's just he just isn't quite comfortable enough and it sounds like a knee on on the knee um because he's so like Grub kind of described, like he's so violent with his the way he runs routes, the way he gets in and out of his breaks. I mean, it's what makes him like such an elite receiver, right? Um, and, and so I think just like having full trust that everything's going to be fine and he can still run and cut and, and everything the way that he does. I mean, yeah, they've, it's weird. They've been optimistic every week. Yeah, you know, even when it, he didn't play, um, shoot, coming off the field at Michigan State when he got hurt, they were optimistic that it was fine. Said it was nothing like long-term or structural or anything like that. So I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of the other, like sort of evaluating, okay, would it, is it to the point yet where there'd be some merit or some benefit to him coming back next year? And, you know, all the weighing, all the factors that go into that. I mean, a big factor is like, what, what, what's the injury, right? Mm-hmm. Like how, how severe is this? Is it something that, it just needs rest, but you're in the middle of a football season, so you can't really rest it because you want to be out there and play and help your team. Is it something that's 
going to need surgery in the off season, but you can put it off for now and try to play as long as, you know, it, it feels right. I, you know, we don't know. We have no idea. So I, what we do know is he's very, very frustrated. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, badly wants to play. I'm sure at yeah. this point it's just completely maddening to have, you know, put the work in that he has to get healthy enough to give it a go twice and, and not be able to. Um, so we'll we'll kind of see what his available availability is going forward. I think that's been a, you know, it's it, it, if the offense keeps clicking along and they're scoring a bunch of points, it's maybe easy to forget like just how valuable he is to them. But I, I think they've missed him for sure. Oh, that's certainly been something that's in the back of my mind of what, as they've struggled to find or become less efficient over these past couple games, that that's... I, He's one of the best receivers in the conference, and to not have him out there is a is a significant loss. Even if you do have with Giles Jackson back and Jalen Polk playing the way he is, and and Jeremy Bernard also coming around and 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 chipping in, Jalen McMillan is is a really really dangerous and impactful receiver. Not having him is a big deal. Should we get to our picks? It was yeah. another bad week. It was not good for either one of us. Uh, I believe, as I have it, we both went two and five. Uh, Arizona State and Arizona were the two picks that I had that came through. Uh, you had Cal and Colorado. Colorado, which lost by 12, but was getting 17 points at UCLA. Um, the, the games we missed, we both took Utah, which was getting six and a half. They lost by 29. Uh, Washington obviously did not cover its to a 26 and a half point spread. Um, and then, and then Arizona State uh, winning as an underdog, winning straight up, and uh, same with Arizona, which was which was getting three and a half points. You know, the Arizona and Arizona State results in particular, I feel like <laughs> I feel like I should have seen. Like it was everything was pointing to this Arizona team on the rise is gonna gonna knock off Oregon State playing it at home, and that you know ASU uh, playing against a, a really struggling Wazoo team at home probably feeling pretty good coming off of what it did against Washington. Yeah, the bad um, bad bad picks there. <laughs> well, this week a chance for redemption. Arizona State at Utah. Utah an 11 point favorite. Was surprised to see that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I <laughs> I think just last week I was saying never bet against Kyle Whittingham. I'm going to take ASU. I think uh, I think it'll be a low scoring game, and I, I think Arizona State is uh, yeah. We've been saying right they've been getting better every week, and they they finally got a win. They're playing against a team that is uh, you know I think Kyle Whittingham will have them have him up for the game but you know probably maybe starting to realize that this is this is the year they're actually not going to play in a Pac-12 championship game probably um really really got got handled last week by Oregon and and I don't know that there's just a lot of answers for them offensively against an ASU defense that I think is pretty decent so I think it'll uh I would pick Utah straight up but I'll take ASU to cover taking Utah to cover I think Utah is going to come back uh a wounded and angry team as they play at home for the second straight week. Cal at Oregon, uh, the Ducks a twenty-four put point favorite. It's a big number. Mm-hmm. Cal is uh, is not good at Autzen Stadium. Nope. Uh, I could say they're not good in a lot of stadiums, 
but they were pretty good against USC last week. I'm going to take Oregon to cover. I just think uh, Oregon's really locked in, playing very well. Um, I think they... A lot of them remember well what happened last season when they were kind of in this position and really looking like, okay, the Ducks are back. They're a machine offensively. They got a quarterback. Look at all those weapons. And, and then um, they couldn't get it done against Washington and Oregon State to kind of close out the season. I think they remember that. I think they're um, they're going to take every opponent seriously. I, I, I like them covering the 24. Taking Cal. Taking Cal, I think that the I think that the hippies are gonna the hippies are gonna put it together. Justin Wilcox against his alma mater. Uh, I like I like Cal. I like Cal to cover in this game. I don't think they'll win, but I think they they might even put a little bit of a, a scare into the Ducks. Washington at USC Huskies three and a half point favorites. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this one. Are you surprised by that line? Um, no. USC's defense has been bad all year, and I think even 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 in the in the realm of it's it's USC. USC is really talented, and Washington hasn't played that well recently. USC's defense is awful. Like, and there's there's not been a point any time this year to think that they're good. Yeah, I feel I don't know. I I, I just I feel like trends suggest a USC pick is wise, but I mm-hmm. I do kind of um, I do kind of believe that Washington's health is is going to be on the upswing a little bit. Um, and yeah, I just I think they'll find some. I think they'll find enough ways to score on that defense. I will take Washington to cover the three and a half. I'm taking Washington to cover the three and a half, and I'm doing that with my heart and not my head because I am deathly afraid of Caleb Williams running roughshod around. I'm there is such a clear path to that being a major, major problem for UW. So I hope that I'm wrong about that, and I'm going with my heart, not my head. Stanford at Wazoo. Uh, Wazoo favored by thirteen, but man, things have gone sideways for the Cougs. Yeah, that's a big. Uh, that's a big number. The thing is, like, Stanford is still not good enough that you'd believe it if Wazoo blew him off the field in Pullman. It just kind of seems like things are, like he said, going sideways a little bit for the Cougs. Yeah, Um, yeah, that that, I don't think I'll pick Stanford straight up, but I'm going to take them to cover that. I actually think... um, I think they're getting better. I think that uh, Wazoo's defense also has a lot of issues um, after they were pretty decent last year. But, I mean, Jake Dickert flat out came out after the ASU game and said, we can't stop the run. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think Ashton Daniels is playing well. Now, if A.O. Minor is, uh, is out, you know, that maybe that changes things a little bit. I don't know. I just I, I think Stanford covers that. Oregon State at Colorado. Now, before the season started, both of us talked about the issues for Colorado were not going to be the skill players. It was going to be the guys up front. And we've certainly seen that recently. And Deion Sanders went so far as when asked about getting, how do you get Shador Sanders more protection? He was, you go get better linemen. (laughs) I think the exact words were, uh, I'll paint a picture for you. I'll paint it perfectly. You go get better linemen. (laughs) Oregon State's a physical team. 13 and a half point favorites for the Beefs. 13 and a half? 13 and a half. Two touchdowns. Hmm. 
feel like they've been pretty tough in Boulder, at least against the spread. Um, Mm -hmm. USC, you know, took control of that game and everything. They came back. Yeah, 13 and a half. I'm going to, I'll take Oregon State bouncing back. Um, I think they'll kick field goals when it makes sense to kick field goals. <laughs> and uh and and they'll 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 add up to a at least a 14 point margin. All right, I'm going to take the Beavs as well. Um I think the Beavs the Beavs are a good team. Um that was that was that was a tough loss for them, but I think the Beavs the Beavs are a good team. And then we have UCLA at Arizona. Uh the surprisingly stout Bruins and their physical defense uh against Arizona Bruins favored by 3. Man, I'm in Tucson. I'm going to take Arizona and probably Arizona straight up. Ooh, I think Bruins are winning this one. I think we've seen the we've seen the cresting of the of the Jetfish. I think that was their that was their high point of the year, the win over Oregon State. I think the Bruins are getting them here. All right. I'd go with Danny's picks if you're going to put money on these. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, man. We had the same record last week. Same two and five record last week. Oh, uh, what are your um, what are your viewing plans? Uh, I'm going to. I, I was planning to go to to USC, and we 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 decided to to ixnay that trip. Um, eh, maybe maybe deferring down the road a little bit. Potential potential travel plans later in the year, but uh, I'll be watching this. I think I'm going to go down to Fayil, which is the Irish bar down near Madison Square Garden where Husky fans congregate. Although the 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 wait staff there wears the space weasel Husky from the from the oh. Weasel tenure. Yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 weasel, the space coyote. Uh, that's that's the Husky emblem the wait staff there has. I gave. Um... I asked you for the the location of the Seahawks bar, the name of the Seahawks bar, a while back, because a friend had asked, a friend who listens to the show had asked, and they uh, had a good time. So yeah, there is uh, Carlo East in the Upper East Side for Seahawks games, and Fail um, Fail also does Seahawks games as well, but Fail especially for the Huskies. Wherever you're watching, enjoy it. I know I, quite a few folks make this trip. I think this was one was easy to circle before the game, as you know, or before the season, as hey, you know. Washington against SC in LA, that's going to be, you know, huge. Maybe they'll both be undefeated or both have one loss, Heisman Trophy implications, conference title implications. I think when a lot of folks booked that trip, probably thought it was the last time they'd uh, play USC for for some time. Uh, But obviously that won't be the case. But uh, wherever you're watching, enjoy, and we'll talk to you next week.